Good morning. We, as we are marching our way through Romans, we've come to the last half of Romans chapter 6. And I'll read it in just a second, but let me just remind us where we are in this letter. That Paul has gone to great lengths already to describe the human condition, um, what it is like on its own apart from Christ. And that is every human being is lost in sin, pursuing our own ways rather than God's ways with no hope of getting back to God, with um, having a relationship with Him. But then what Christ has done is that He came, not leaving human beings to suffer and bear their own punishment, but that He gave Christ for us instead. That only through faith in Him, that human beings, sinful though, so, though they may be, can actually be counted according to what Christ has done rather than what we do, and have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And that brings, amen is right, but that brings us to a trick. And that is this question we've been dealing with in Romans chapter 6. If that's the case, if we can be counted according to what Christ has done rather than what we do, does that mean we can then sin and do whatever we want to with no consequences? It's the same guy who tells you to work smarter and not harder is the guy that you know, says that. It's a loophole. And so Paul is spending this chapter of Romans 6, um, how do we answer this question? Are we, is our freedom from sin a freedom to sin? And he's going to answer that um, with an emphatic no. The first part of the chapter looked at it mostly through the lens of Christ and what he did. And then this last half, he's going to look at it more through the lens of what is sin and what is his character. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. This is Romans 6, verses 15 through 23. This is God's Word. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death, or of obedience which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification." For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us real quick. Dear Father, I just ask, and we all ask together, that you would come and meet with us through your word this morning. We are powerless to learn from it, and especially to be convicted and to see ourselves by it without your help. So we ask that you would do that. Come and meet with us and teach us and help us all to rest more in Jesus Christ than we did when we walked in. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I think this is a passage that hits, really hits home for us because if there's one thing that human beings like, it is freedom. If you pay attention at all through media or any other way, then this theme of, I just want to be free, I want to break free, it comes out again and again and again and again. Because we want freedom. And that really means we want to be able to do what we want to do. And I think more so it means we want to be free of emotional struggle. We want to be at peace with ourselves doing what we want to do. And that's what we mean when we say we want to break free. And if there's one thing that we don't like, which is kind of a universal no-no, is bondage. That somebody else could dictate to us what we would have to do when that's not what we want to do. Like we really, really hate that. And so we bring that to the, the gospel when it, we understand the freedom of what, and the good news of what Jesus did for us, that this is, this is so like us to ask this question, that if Jesus has done this, does this mean I can then do what I want? Is this a loophole? Is God's grace to us a loophole to be able to actually have the freedom that I want? And what Paul is going to say here is that it is only freedom if we misunderstand what sin actually is. Now, I'll give you an illustration. So, Lauren and I have been watching the show The Good Place. Have any of you seen that show? I'm also going to give you a major spoiler here. So, if you have not watched it, then you might want to plug your ears. Um, it is already in the third season. And so, it's been three years since this reality has come out. So, I don't feel that bad about it. But anyways, The Good Place is a show about four people who have died and gone to whatever version of the afterlife that it is. And they're in the middle of a community of a bunch of other people, and it seems like paradise. But what actually happens is they're set free in paradise to do whatever they want to do and follow, keep doing all the old issues they had in life, all their old habits, all their own fears. And what they end up doing is making each other absolutely miserable. And you start to pick up as season one goes on that there's some little bit of help behind the scenes, that they're actually put in situations that make them more miserable and bring out more fears. And you come to find out that they're not actually in the good place at all, but they're in the bad place. And it, it is a big deception that is geared to making them psychologically miserable. And this is kind of what Paul's saying. And that way in this show is you kind of get to the end of this, the first season and the curtain is pulled back and you see a reality underneath that you didn't see before. Paul is kind of doing that for us here in Romans chapter 6. He's pulling back the curtains and saying, before we ask this question, we need to look and see the reality that is a little bit deeper if we're actually able to answer this question. And so that's it. What we're going to find out is there's a big secret, that sin is not actually freedom. And so what I want to do, how I want to look at this is I've got three points. First, we're just going to look at the slavery of sin. And we're going to look at the character of what sin is and how it is slavery to us. Secondly, we're going to look at the freedom of the Christian. That's the good news of the gospel and how we see ourselves and how it applies to us. And then we're going to end by asking the how question. The how do we follow Jesus and do anything good? And that we'll look at the power of Jesus. Okay? 
So the slavery of sin, the freedom of the Christian, and then the power of Jesus. So let's jump in. He starts off in in verse 15 and asks this question, What then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? And he gives us an emphatic by no means. This is a very, very strong no, that this should never, ever, ever be. And the reason is this. Look at verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death, or of obedience which leads to righteousness? So what's he doing there? As he pulls back the curtain, he's kind of showing another reality that we think sin is freedom, but actually sin is more like bondage than it is freedom, whether we realize it or not. When we see it as freedom, it is the result of a deception rather than um, the truth, what it actually is. And what do we mean by sin? Sin really is anything, it is any uh, action, it's any thought, it's any love, or desire we have deep down in ourselves that is apart from God. What he's not necessarily saying here is that Satan is the, um, the dark master who makes you do whatever you do. Satan is more described as the great deceiver, the one who works behind the scenes in a cloud of deception so that we end up um, following through on actions or thoughts or desires that we don't necessarily... Um, that are not good for us. He's the great deceiver. But those things that we do that are apart from God are actually kind of like bondage. They're much more like bondage than they are freedom. And we might ask, it doesn't really feel like that to me, though. It actually feels more like freedom to do whatever I want to do, and it doesn't feel like bondage. And I think that we can understand this in in little ways. And I think we know and we think about life that freedom is actually a myth and it's not something that exists. I'll give you an example. I've got this app called Flora on my phone. Any of you use that app? It is an app to keep you accountable to how much you use your phone. So it is how it works is you download it and you set the timer for when you want to be off your phone and it plants these little fake trees. And if you use your phone... During that time, it'll kill the tree. And if you don't use it, the tree grows up, and then everyone in your network can see your little garden. So what's happening here? You've real, we've realized that we are under slavery of our phones. And so what we do is we create this little device that actually taps into peer pressure... So everybody can see what we do, and we trade our slavery to that so that we can get off our phone. That's how it works, and it's very effective, and I would highly recommend it. (laughs) But that's just to illustrate that freedom doesn't really exist anywhere. We're always a slave to something. And then if we fan that out and we start to think about sin a little bit, the picture becomes a little bit more clear. Like, think about lying. Lying is something that will end up owning you eventually. The more you lie, the more you have to live by that other reality so that nobody knows that you're lying. And the more lies you end up having to tell. And you can get stuck very, very, very quickly. Anger is like that. 
in order to feel right about being angry, we continuously need something else to justify that anger in ourselves. And it becomes a cycle that we end up having to obey. Revenge is that way. It can go on and on and on the more we think about it. Keeping up appearances is a big one. We don't see it in every way because of our own human condition, but we start to get this picture of what it is really like. And then we get here to Paul, and Paul is telling us this is a deep warning, that sin is not really what you think it is. That sin is actually a slave master that is cruel. It keeps us in bondage. And what does that mean for us? Uh, He is specifically writing this to Christians, but this applies to Christians and non-Christians alike. As he goes on to describe it, look at else and how he describes sin. He says, like in verse 16 and 21, it is actually something that leads to death. It's not just a bondage that doesn't go anywhere, but it actually will end up eventually leading to death. It brings shame, if you saw that in verse 21. And look at verse 19 at the end, is when he says that you are slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. Like this is not just a neutral thing. It's, it is a mastership that leads down a downward spiral. Sin leads to more sin and more sin and more sin and eventually to death, whether we understand it or not. That is its character. That is the type of master it is. So what Paul is telling us is that before we come, when we ask this very question, does God's grace mean that we're able to sin however we want to, he's asking us to remember what sin actually is first. Is this really, really what you want? Sin is, I really like how one commentary put it, it is deathly, and death ends up following it wherever it goes. No matter who we are, if that is the character of sin just like fire burns, we cannot expect to just embrace it wholeheartedly and expect that there will not be consequences in some way. The character of sin is slavery that ends up leading to death. And this is a warning for all of us. That's just what it's like. That's the first point. That's the slavery of sin that we have to understand as we really wrestle with this. If you're anything like me, this kind of presents us with a problem. And we all know deep down on one level or another, but we all sin. If you've ever been really confronted with yourself, then you've noticed that just knowing the consequences of sin is not enough to make you not choose it. For some reason, we choose it again and again and again, knowing what it does. And if I remember the times in my life when I've been the most deeply and struggling with certain issues, what we start thinking in our minds is, does this mean that sin is actually my master as we struggle with sin? And maybe I'm not actually a Christian at all. Maybe something broke with me. It seems like other people can hold it together, but I'm different. I can't stop. Like, how do I know that I'm actually a Christian. And so this we get to the second point here, which is really good news, which is the freedom of the Christian. Okay, And Paul goes on to talk about sin. And look here, starting in verse 17, there's a big but. But, thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin 
have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. What's he saying here? He's talking about slavery in the past tense because God has done something that we were not able to do for ourselves. It doesn't say that when we were able to liberate ourselves that we became slaves of God and now have to do righteousness. It says that God intervened. Thanks be to Him that when we were stuck, He sent His own Son for us that He would take the brunt of whatever we deserve and He would stand in our way. So the guilt that enslaves us The power that enslaves us, it doesn't hit us. It hits Jesus who stands in our way. So the identity and the character of a Christian are people who have been delivered by God out of the bondage of sin and now are owned by God. Because of Jesus, He gets to dictate where you go, what you do, and what is the end of your life. Not these things that we do. That's good news. That that resorts in this praise, but thanks be to God that God has done this. He has delivered us. Now, again, it doesn't seem that way. And here's what happens for us psychologically. When you read verse 16 and we see these things, that so if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, your slaves the one whom obey, you obey either of sin which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. This can sound like uh, to us like our master changes on a daily basis depending on what we do. That what we do, how much we struggle, actually becomes the evidence to us of who our master is. And Paul is saying that it is actually the other way around. It is not you and your works who dictates who your master is, it is the work of God. And it is the work of Jesus Christ who went to the cross and rose again from the dead. And how do we know this is true? This applies to us. It is just this verse 17 that we have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And that is just a fancy way of saying that you have believed the gospel with your whole person. You have entrusted your whole person to the whole truth that includes that you are a sinner and can't do this on your own and you need Jesus. And includes that God, through Jesus, has given you freedom to look on you differently than He did before. That just by faith in Jesus, throwing our lot in with Him rather than ourselves, there is a freedom of not being defined by our own works. And I will tell you, I know from experience that this daily battle is a trap and it is one that is a great deception. That you get evidence of who your master is depending on what you do. But the gospel that is worth thanksgiving on a daily basis is that there is freedom for you because you have been delivered by what Christ has done and not by what you do. That is freedom. And that is something that is worth joy and is worth thanks every day. 
But there's more. This is good news. So that kind of lays out for us the slavery of sin is the bad news and the freedom of the Christian, which is the good news, that gives a new ultimate identity that's based on Christ and not on us. But there is another really important question that we have to grapple with here. And that is, how in the world can we actually do what God asked us to do? Did you catch the implication of this? is that the implication of being set free from God in verse 19 is that for just as you present your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. And this is a metaphor. Paul says he's speaking in human, human um, limitations. It just means it's a metaphor. Because presenting yourself to God for obedience is actually freedom. It's not slavery. Okay? But there's an implication here that being united with Christ is also called to obey Him to the fullest as our Master. And he goes on in verse 20, that you used to be slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. That means you had no thought of doing anything right. It is 100 in total, 100% devotion. And he's saying just in that same way, the call is to do that to God as well, to obedience. And I think we know we can't do that. There is no way. So how, based on what Jesus has done, can we be empowered to follow God after a life that actually leads to sanctification? And that's the power of Jesus. This is the last point. I think that the key is here in this command. He says, For just as you once presented your members as slaves... So now, present your members as slaves to righteousness. To present yourself to God. What he's talking about is drawing close. That when we can become aware of our own sin, our own guilt, what we tend to do is we tend to hide. We tend to go further and further away. But what he's... And he is not telling us to get it all right, to work harder on your own, so that you can be acceptable to God. He's telling you right where you are to draw close to God, to present yourself to God, to go and park and hang out in His presence. And that is the only way. Look here at verse 23. He says, For the wages of sin is death. That means that what we deserve, if we're bent and determined to try to do this on our own, there is only one result to that. And that is what is actually deserved for any human being is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This free gift is the same word for grace. The grace of God is eternal life. It is unmerited favor. It is God's delight in you because when he looks at you, he sees the record of Jesus, if you're a Christian, rather than your own record. So more than saving just from the penalty, from punishment, he has actually created a new relationship of love where God delights in you. And he invites you, even as a sinner, to draw close to him, just as you are. What it is, is it is about love. There are more books 
written on how sanctification is supposed to work, how it's supposed to happen, and there's really, really good stuff in all of them. But it is something that is a profound mystery, I think, that it is the product of a love and a delight in a relationship of God for you, that there is any power to change. That you have the power, when you're on the bottom, to march right into his presence in full honesty and receive his embrace. The heart of this command is to rather than stay on your own, but receive and embrace the embrace of Jesus that he has for you. He loves you. And what does that allow you to do? It allows you to go to him when you feel guilty, rather than staying in hiding and trying to find some way to deal with it on your own. That allows you to pray, even when you know that things aren't really great between the two of you, that you're frustrated. You know you're in the wrong. You have the freedom to do that. It means that you have the ability to actually obey with the security of his embrace for you to learn from him and to replicate that kind of love that you have received for others. It means that you have the power to repent because you know of God's delight and embrace for you despite whatever truth might be real about you and might need to come out. The power of Jesus is in his love and his delight for his people. It's not in you. And that's really, really good news. And I think that brings us to the question, as we are sitting here and we study this passage and we receive these commands to present ourselves to Jesus, it is worth evaluating ourselves and thinking, how are we living apart from Jesus? Where are the places of hiding? Where are the places of distance? Where are the places that we don't We're afraid to go to him. What are they? But what does the gospel there allow you to do? What does Jesus say about you that you're not sure is true about yourself? As we think about these things, the heart of the matter is that Jesus really likes to be with you. He likes that you talk to him. He likes when you come to him. This is a relational battle that lasts our whole life. But it is a deeply, deeply penetrating reality, and it is very, very good news for us. So I just let's pray together as we walk out of here that the Spirit would give us the power to do that, to run to Him and join Him in His embrace. Let's pray. Your Father, You see through us. You see the motivations of our hearts. You see the ways we wander. You see the ways we hide. And you see the ways that we rebel. I pray that in your spirit, as we grapple with your word this morning, that you would free us of our own selves, that we might look to you instead. And that would change us to the very core. And even as we struggle, keep our eyes fixed on you, so then your delight for us, that we might delight in you anew. And pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.